0: Have you been glad to be at New Spring today? <laughs> Whether you're in South or North Auditorium, so watching online, watching on television, we're glad you're with us at New Spring. When God gave me these three messages, I wrote at the top of my notes. In fact, if you could go to my house, you could see a notebook where I've written the three most important messages I've ever brought. I can't prove that because in 35 years here and 43 years of preaching, I've preached a lot of messages, but this feels like the three most important messages I've ever brought. In fact, as you'll hear me say in just a few moments, it was as if God gave them to me all in one morning. I typed as fast as I could, as God gave it to me. Well, you and I both understand, if you're sensitive to the Word of God, we know that we're in warfare in 2020. There have been a lot of things happening this year that's made this year different from any year than I can ever remember. But when you look at the chemistry of these events, the way they pancaked in on us, For anyone who is biblically sensitive, there's an awareness that we're in spiritual warfare. Everywhere I look in this year, I feel Satan's hot breath, crisis after crisis, natural disasters, man-made disasters. Christians are being persecuted all over the world at quickly elevating rates. And I pray that those of you who are in New Spring who care about God and care about the people that are part of God's family, I hope that you won't just care about what's going on in the United States, but that you'll be... You'll be concerned about your brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution. Right now in China, it's never happened like it is right now. Our missionaries are fleeing China. Christians who have any kind of public faith in Jesus Christ are being hounded and persecuted. And by the way, I understand when I speak about China, I'm not talking about the people of China because they're some of the greatest people in the world, but the communist government in China is one of the most evil empires that ever was in the history of the world. And I I really do get a little bit upset when I look at power centers here in the United States who cozy up to the government of China that's so busy persecuting its people who follow Jesus Christ. And I hope we care about that. And not just in China, but in sub-Saharan Africa. And in Asia and India and all kinds of places in the world where Christians right now are being persecuted for their faith. So like I say, in 2020, every, every direction I look, I feel Satan's hot breath. Natural disasters, man-made ones, Christians are being persecuted. And one of the things, if I really want to get discouraged, I think I may have said this the other day at New Spring. But if I really want to get discouraged in 2020, all I need to do is look at, and I'm not talking about New Spring, but the Christian community here in the United States because so much of what passes for Christianity in America is fake. You hear about fake news, I don't know about that, but we have a whole lot of fake Christianity. It's sort of a boutique Christianity, and it bears no resemblance to the New Testament at all. And then on top of that, it looks like the power centers, you know, the people with the microphones, it looks like they open their mouths, but Satan's words come out. And that's the world that you and I are living in. But we should not be surprised, and we should not be discouraged. Welcome to the last days. We've been in the last days. Well, ever since 1948 and definitely 1967, and I'm not going to spend any more of this sermon talking about how we know for sure that we're in the last days. We did a prophecy series last spring. If you want to bone up on that, you can check it out, or you can check out any of the two series that we did a year ago and the year previous to that called Clash of Dynasties 1 and 2. But it's really clear we're not only living in the last days. If you take a football metaphor, we're probably in the last two minutes of the game of the last days. So, here's what you need to understand about living in the last days. There's a reason why stuff is happening like it's happening today. It's found in Revelation chapter 12 and the 12th verse. When you get in, before I give you the verse, when you get into Revelation 12 and 13, it's the section of Revelation that talks about Satan's long term agenda for the world. And the Antichrist and the Antichrist kingdom. So in chapter 12, it's backstory on Satan. Chapter 13, you get into the Antichrist regime of the last days. That's where we get 666 and nobody being able to buy or sell without the mark. But in Revelation 12, 12, we get a word about Satan that helps us understand the times that we're living in. It says, rejoice you heavens and all who live there but it will be terrible for the earth because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with anger. He knows he doesn't have much time. One more time. He knows he doesn't have much time. In fact, one translation says he knows his time is short. Well, every once in a while, I hear some well-meaning Christian author or speaker say that Satan wants to win. Okay, can we just disabuse ourselves of that notion right now? Satan has no Delusions of grandeur. He knows he is not going to win. That's why he knows his time is short. He he's known that his time is short or finished from the moment. I, I really think Jesus won the victory over Satan in the Garden of Eden, and that's just personal uh, opinion on my uh, on on my part, and I can't prove that. But we know that when Jesus was in the I said Garden of Eden. I'm sorry, I meant Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus, right before his arrest, got to the place where he said he felt like his soul was being crushed unto death. I think Satan was throwing everything at him that he had to keep him from going to the cross. I personally believe that when Jesus said to his disciples, get up, let's go, I'm about to be arrested, I think Satan knew it was finished. But in case he had any question, just a few hours later at three o'clock on that Friday afternoon, as Jesus hung there on the cross, he said one Greek word, te in English, it is finished. If he ever had any question, it was game set match at that moment, because when Jesus said it is finished, Satan had no delusions of grandeur, he knew he was gonna lose, he was going down. I've heard preachers say, oh, you know, when Jesus was in the grave, the demons danced with glee. They had a funeral service that night in hell. Well, he's not in hell yet, but they had a funeral service among the demons because they knew it was finished. And Jesus walked out of the grave under his own power on Sunday morning, put an exclamation point on God's plan. Now it could sound scary, And I I hope that nobody walks, in fact, I think all of us will walk out exhilarated when this is all over today. It could sound scary that we're living in a time where Satan has come down with great power because he knows his time is short. It would sound scary until we realize something big. We were chosen for this time. God picked us for this moment. If we're in the last two moments of the game, I think this is one of the biggest things. I'm a football fan and I'm glad that we're gonna have some football hopefully this year. But one thing I've watched is in the final two minutes of the game, you don't put bench warmers in at that point. You want your best players in the game because it's the last two minutes and the game is on the line. I get so excited when I think that of all the catalog of God followers that God could have picked, he picked you and he picked me to be in the game in the final two minutes. Instead of hunkering down, we should say, just give me the rock. I belong to God. God is doing great things in our world and I'm glad he picked me for this time. He makes no mistakes, and with that in mind, please understand he's not looking for frightened pigeons who cower down and hope that the American dream works out long enough for us to retire. He is not looking for cowards who will placate politically correct demons. He's looking for women who will be warriors. He's not looking for cowards. He's looking for women here today, God's daughters who will rise up and say, I am a warrior for Jesus Christ. And even if the men won't stand up, then let me be a daughter of God who is a warrior. He's looking for men who will wage warfare. But we must understand something very clear. And this is, if you miss this point, the rest of this series will be skewed. So, what I'm about to say in the next three minutes is more important than I could possibly say. It's a different kind of war. We must understand it's a different kind of war. See, the problem that Christianity's had for 2,000 years is tried to wage the wrong kind of war. There are two verses. If I could etch these in stone somewhere on our campus, I would etch them in stone and put them together. Here's the first verse that you must understand, warriors. If you're going to be part of worlds of warfare, you've got to understand this. Here's number one. We're not fighting against people. Ephesians 6.12, we do not fight against people. I want to say that over and over again. We are not fighting against people. We're not fighting against the Democrats. We're not fighting against the Republicans. We're not fighting against the postmoderns. We're not fighting against this group or that group. We as Christ followers do not fight against people. Well, who do we fight? Oh, take a deep breath here. Against persons without bodies. Hmm the evil rulers of the unseen world. Now Daniel in his book tells us what this verse is about. The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel that there are demons assigned to nations and cities and people groups. There are demons assigned to power bases. So the Bible tells us we're not fighting against people. We're fighting against persons without bodies, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings, the great evil princes of darkness who rule this world. And against, look at this new spring, against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. Now I'm going to say this again to you in a few minutes, so I act like you haven't heard it when I get there, okay? The Bible in the book of Revelation 12 gives us a conservative number for demons. This is a conservative estimate. This is a minimum. There are 33 million conservative estimate of demons. So one more time, let me read that verse. We don't fight against people, but we're fighting against persons without bodies, evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings, the great evil princes of darkness who rule this world and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. Now, I've got you fully freaked out, I'm sure, because you're like, when I go home and I want to look under my bed to make sure, you... no, don't do that. And for one thing, demons are not like they're presented in, you know, entertainment. They're spirits, they're invisible. So You are too. I can say I see you, but I I just see the bodies that you live in. I can't see your spirit. So so understand, demons are are angels, fallen angels that are spirits. So that's the first thing. Thankfully, I've got another verse for you. We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against the dark forces. But 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not human weapons. Well, that's good to know because we're not fighting against humans. It is good to know that the weapons that we fight with are not human weapons. Like I said, the church for the last 2,000 years has made a terrible mistake. They fought against people, and they've used human weapons, politics, sarcasm. You can just go up and down and look at the, the misdirected attempts of Christians through the years to try to change the world without the power of God. But the Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but they are mighty. And look at this prepositional phrase, through God. In other words, the weapons that you have, we're going to talk about some of them today. They are not wimpy weapons. They are mighty weapons. The Bible says they're made powerful for God for tearing down strongholds. Now I'm talking to some of you who are Christians, you know your Bible. And and, um, you've seen this verse before. Do you know what a stronghold is? Let me, let, me, let me give you the biblical definition of stronghold. Take a deep breath. It is a lie that is so commonly believed that it becomes held as truth. That's exactly what the word means. It is like, one more time. It is a lie that is so commonly held that it's believed as truth. Good morning, America. How are you? That is where we are. I mean, we, don't, don't, don't you sort of... Don't you sort of raise your eyebrows at sometimes the silly things that people believe that are commonly held? There's a reason for that, guys. It's not accidental. The Bible tells us it's a satanic stronghold. So one more time, our enemy is never people, but then our weapons are not human, and they're mighty through God to the tearing down of Satan's lies. For the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about this warfare, and I believe it's going to explain so much about what's happening in our world today, and here's the best part. This is real stuff. You know, one of my sons was telling me the other day that an item that's almost out of stock right now in these, you know, coronavirus times are uh, video game consoles. And, and I don't have any problem with that. I'm not preaching as video game consoles. I, I can enjoy a video game every once in a while. But what I love about Worlds of Warfare here is this is not a video game. This is real stuff. This is stuff that really makes a difference. God is not looking for couch potatoes. He's looking for women and men who will stand up and say, I will be a warrior for the cross. I will not fight against people, but I will not back down to the devil and his minions. Here's what I do know, because I didn't come up with these messages. God gave them to me. I know this, that when this series is all over, you're gonna know how to be a winner in the dark times. But I want to say two things, and I just gave you the first one. That is, I believe God gave me these three sermons. They all came on the same morning, and I typed as fast as I could, and God was giving it to me faster than I could type. And the second thing. I've done a lot of series on spiritual warfare here at New Spring through the years, and this series is different from anything I've ever brought. I'll tell you why. Because before this, I've given you facts about spiritual warfare, facts about the devil, facts about his army, facts that the Bible tells us about who we are and how to fight. Now, that's good. It's good to have facts. But when God gave me this series, it was really clear that it was a totally different kind of series in the sense that it was how spiritual warfare works. It was how it functions. Let's see if I can explain it this way. Well, let me read this verse to you. I want to talk to you about the fact that you and I have an enemy. And that's what our sermon is about. The title of the sermon is Your Enemy. From 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I don't like having enemies. Anyone who knows me personally knows that I am not a confrontational person. I'm a conciliatory person. I will do anything to avoid having an enemy. I just don't like having enemies because it's hard work to have enemies and I'm too lazy to have enemies. (laughs) It is said that Richard Nixon, who was an insecure guy, he was president, I guess, from what, 69 to 74, but he resigned in disgrace. And it is said about Richard Nixon that he kept an enemies list. And when he resigned and Gerald Ford took the White House, he was told by some of Nixon's advisors that Nixon had an enemies list. And Gerald Ford said this, and I love it. He said, anybody who has to have a list to remember all his enemies has too many enemies. True statement. I don't like having enemies, but it's really, really important that we understand this. We do have an enemy. And you can't duck this enemy. The Bible says, your enemy, the devil. Now... I know there are many Americans who don't believe in a devil. Surprisingly, it's a larger number than you might think. But there are a lot of the people who claim they do believe in the devil, in fact, I think 40% of Christians who say they believe in a devil, it's hard to believe Christians would say this, but 40% don't really believe in a personal devil. They believe that Satan is kind of a personified force of evil. That's not what the Bible teaches and here's the thing. If somebody could say, "Well," and by the way, I will say this, even many of us who it is part of our theological repertoire to believe in a personal devil, I'm not sure how much we do because if we really did and we understood what he was trying to do, it would change the way we pray. Do you remember what Jesus put in the Lord's Prayer? Deliver us from the evil one. So consequently, I mean, Jesus thought it was important enough to put that line in the Lord's Prayer. But someone could say, well, Mark, I just don't really know that I believe in a real devil. He loves that. I mean, I mean you, you are going to be target practice for him. Roadkill. <laughs> one, of get, one of Satan's greatest schemes is to get you to ignore him or to mischaracterize and not take him seriously. But when this service is over, you will all know who he is. And I think more importantly, kind of know what he is. Now, as I said a few moments ago, this series is not about cold hard facts. It's about how spiritual warfare works. I need to give you an illustration, and I hate to compare myself to the devil, but I just don't have anybody else to use. So let me just use myself for a moment for an illustration. Suppose you said, I want to get to know Mark, and and that happens sometimes because people reach out to staff or family members and say, i would like to get to know Mark a little better. So let's just say you decide you'd like to get to know me a little better. Now, you could learn facts about me, kind of like a bio that we would see. Mark is a Caucasian male, 63 years old, approximately 6'1", weighs (laughs) <laughs> Resides in Andover, Kansas, works at New Spring Church the last 35 years in Wichita, Kansas. Those would be facts, but would you know me from those facts? No. If you really wanted to know me, you would, if you could, talk to Mary Alice and say, tell me about Mark. Or talk to one of my sons or one of my daughters-in-law or one of my grandkids. Or if you want to know me, you might talk to the two guys on our campus who have worked with me for 30 years. You might talk to our executive pastor, Billy Poore, our administrative senior administrative pastor, Dan Kubish. Because they, they've been with me through every crisis, through every day, through thousands and thousands of conversations. And here's the thing. If you said, would you tell me about Mark, they wouldn't give you that 6'1", so many pounds, lives in Andover. They, it wouldn't be but just a moment before they'd start telling you stories about me. You know, they would say things like, Mark's kind of quirky. And <laughs> let, let me tell you what he did. What, and, and it would be from those stories that you would get to know me. Well, what I want to do for the next five minutes or so is I want to take you to three Bible stories that clearly talk to us about the interaction of Satan with human beings. And we'll talk more about these in the next three, next two weeks. But right now, I just want to give you three quick stories that help you understand Satan's agenda. Let's take the first one. First story in the Bible, first story of humans in the Bible, Adam and Eve. Now, this is something that doesn't get taught enough, but when God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he gave them the management of the planet. That's, you read it. It's in Genesis 1 and 2. You read it. God said, I'm turning the planet over to you. Rule the planet. And Satan, who had already rebelled against God before the creation of the earth, took a third of the angels with him, Satan looked at God's creation, Adam and Eve, and the world, and he said, I want that. So he came along, and he he lied to eve you know here's the thing satan oh my goodness i wish i had time this. satan has two primary lies he wants to give you satan is not creative he cannot create he copies if you're if you're a son or a daughter of god you you have you have something on the devil that he doesn't have you can create because you're made in god's image satan is an angel he cannot create all he does is copy And so Satan is going to give two lies, and he gives them over and over and over to the human race. the first lie is that God is against you and I'm for you. And he comes to our first parents, and he sells them on that. He says to Adam and Eve, look, God's trying to keep something back from you. There's a tree he told you to leave alone. But, hey, it's good. Trust me. And that's the first thing that we learn about Satan. He lies. His target is your mind. His technique is lies. And his goal is to swindle you out. Of what God has given you. Oh my goodness, that is so big. He wants to swindle you out of what God has given you. He wants to swindle you out of your marriage. He wants to swindle you out of your kids. He wants to swindle you out of your friends. He wants to swindle you out of your relationships. He wants to swindle you out of your job. He wants to take away. Jesus said it this way the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's who he is. And he came to our first parents, and he he lied to them. And the next thing you know, he gets control of the earth. I know that because Jesus talked about Satan. He said, the prince of this world is coming. Now, thankfully, as we said a few moments ago, Jesus won it back. And by the way, somebody could say, well, Mark, I don't understand. We sang a song a few moments ago that said it's already done. And you just said Jesus won the kingdoms of this world back when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. How is it that we're still in a battle? Uh, Carolyn Aarons, who is a a Christian artist, Christian music artist in Canada, tells a story. And I love her story because it kind of answers the question for us better than anything else I've seen. She talked about being a a girl in church, and they would have mission Sundays where missionaries would come in. And she said a missionary and his wife came to their church one mission Sunday up in Canada. And he told the story about where they went. I think it was someplace in Asia where they have, like, big, huge poisonous snakes and this missionary said that when they first went there, they were terrified of all the unusual things. And sure enough, one of these massive, big poisonous snakes got into their house, and they freaked out. So they went to their neighbors there, and they said, what do we do about this? And they said, oh, there's a man in our, in our village who will know what to do. And they caught him, and he came, and he brought his machete in, hacked the head right off. And the missionary said, well, we'll just go back into the house. And the man said, no, you cannot go back into the house. Because he said the body of that snake is going to thresh around for hours. And you have to wait for that body to quit threshing around. And sure enough, that missionary said for hours you could hear that snake break glass and rattle, you know, shake the walls. And, he, and, and the missionary said the problem with that snake, the snake didn't know it was dead yet. He had to figure out he didn't have a head anymore. And that's the world that you and I are living in right now. Jesus has finished him off, but we're still waiting for our king to take possession Of all his kingdoms, which by the way, I didn't tell this to the other three services. If you've ever heard Handel's Messiah and you've heard the Hallelujah Chorus, and it says the kingdoms of this world have just become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever, did you know that Hallelujah Chorus comes from the book of Revelation, the very point where the Bible tells us Jesus is going to take possession of all the kingdoms? I'm going to get excited when that happens. Story number two the story of Satan talking and telling a lie to a great, great king, David. I hear someone right now say, oh, I know where you're going now. David, he's up on the rooftop of his palace. He saw his naked neighbor, went to bed with her, had her husband whacked. Well, that was a serious problem, and it, caused, it, was a, it was a trick of Satan that caused David a lot, but it, only four people died as a result of that. Did you know that, and this is a little-known story, I think, did you know that Satan talked David into doing something that cost the lives of 70,000 people? Hey, if you want to know how many 70,000 people is, the next time you're in Washington, D.C., go to the Vietnam Memorial, and look how much granite it takes to write 58,000 names. 70,000 people died as a result of this, and I'll just tell you the story real quickly because it's a trick that Satan will pull on some of us. David, by this time, has been used of God greatly. He's greatly successful. Israel has defeated all its enemies. But you can feel this in the Psalms. There were a lot of people who never respected David. They never forgot that he came from the sheepfold. And so after all this success, David got to feeling like people don't give me credit. They don't give me, they don't, they don't respect me the way they should respect me. And David said, I know what I'll do. I'll show them Just how successful I've been as a king. I'm going to take a census, and we're going to know how many soldiers we have and how many people we have. And that's something God had told him not to do because God said, I want the glory. God wanted himself to have the glory. Don't even worry about how many soldiers you have. Don't don't worry about how many people you have. Battle is not won because an army is bigger than another army. God said, I am your source. And Joab, who was David's commander of the army, who was not a particularly spiritual man, Joab said to David, please don't do this. There's no reason to this, this. Isn't it strange how we tend to double down when we do the wrong thing and we get stubborn and defensive? And David said, I'm going to do it anyway. Now, what do we learn from that? New Spring, please hear my heart on this. Satan understands if he can get you to do something, God can't bless. It doesn't matter how much God loves you, he won't be able to bless you. See, here's the thing. I'm talking even at New Spring today, Are those of you watching. There are Christians who say, Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't see anything wrong with doing this. And you know there's something wrong with it. God has told you there's something wrong with it. You know you're in a relationship that's not good. It's with a wrong person. And you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, but you're saying, God, here's what we say God loves me. God loves me. He does. He does. But you don't understand. Satan knows. If he can get you to do something God can't bless, God could love you very much. He sent his son to die for you, but he can't bless you. If you do something he can't bless, God would have to change his character in order to bless me. Third story, and this is good news because this this hero won, and that's Jesus. Satan came to Jesus when Jesus had been fasting for 40 days with three deals. He said, take these stones and turn them into bread. In other words, do what will make you feel good. And Jesus quoted scripture and said, man shall not live by bread alone. Then Satan came along and he took Jesus to a high place on the temple. And he tried the thing he tried on David. He said, people don't respect you enough. But if you'll jump off the temple, the angels will catch you in midair. And it'll be on YouTube and Facebook and, you know. (laughs) And Jesus said, not going to do that. New Spring, we'll talk about this next week. If Satan can't, he wants to get you cheap. If he can't get you cheap, he'll he'll bid up. And he he realized he wasn't getting Jesus with the stuff he'd gotten other people with. So he finally pulled out all the stops and he said to Jesus, he took him up to a place. And we're not talking about a high geographic place. We're talking about some place up in the heavenlies where Satan could show him not only everything that was going on on the earth, but he could show him the past and present and the future. And Satan said to Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. He's never done that with anybody else. Jesus was smart enough to realize that if he had to worship Satan, Satan would still be in charge. And he said, you should only worship God. And the Bible tells us that Satan left. Now, what do we learn from those three stories? Adam and Eve. Satan wants to swindle you out of your gifts. Number two, David. He wants to get you to do something God can't bless. And with Jesus, he wants you to trade away your destiny. In fact, I could be talking to somebody here today and you you know you need to give your life to Jesus but for some reason you haven't done it. Right now Satan is still working on you to try to get you trade away your eternal destiny. That is what he's at work doing. He's he's not as he's depicted in the entertainment. You know, worshipping Satan is not goat heads and pentagrams and all that kind of stuff. That's silly. It's these three things. So, with the brief time that we have left, how do you fight the devil? i want to give you three keys, and then we'll come back next week. Your battle plan. That's key number one, your battle plan. This one is so important because, see, here's the thing. If you don't have the battle plan, you won't know whether you've won or lost. So the Bible has a word for you. In fact, this word keeps showing up, as we'll see in just a moment, time and time again. If you want to know what your goal is with Satan, it's one word. And being ADD, I love that. Here's your one word. Well, before let me give oh, just a minute. Let me let me say this. I've grown up hearing a lot of teaching about how to beat the devil, and I've got good friends. And, and within the context, I understand exactly what they mean, and I respect what they're saying. But I've I've heard friends say I rebuke Satan, um, and there are those who say I bind you, Satan. Well. I don't know if we looked around very much, it would be pretty clear he's not quite bound yet. The only time that we're talking about binding Satan is Jesus had a comment about it in the Gospels and he's bound at the beginning of the millennium. But I understand the context and in the context that is spoken, I understand and respect it. I've also heard people, and I've actually taught this, I believe. I've heard people say, well, you quote scripture at Satan. Well, in a context, yes, that is powerful. Jesus just did it. But I want us to be real, real clear on something. Beating Satan is not finding the right verbal incantation. I just want us to understand, it's not, the, it's not the biblical abracadabra or the biblical open sesame. It is not coming up with the right words. God has never told us that. That is not the one strategy that he told us to employ. And one more time, in a respectful way, I just want to say, I understand the context that those things are spoken in, and biblically, they are correct. God over and over gives us one word. You ready? Here it is. Resist. Resist. Stand up to the devil. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we looked at a few moments ago. The Bible says your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him. That's our word. You know, a few weeks ago, I gave you the definition of the word apostasy in Greek. apostasy is almost a transliteration it comes from the Greek word apostasis Apo means away stasis means to stand it's interesting that resist has the same root word as apostasy but before I get to that let me just remind us all what apostasy is apostasis means I don't stand where I used to stand I used to stand with Jesus but don't stand with him anymore I used to stand with biblical definitions of sexuality but it's 2020 and it's not politically correct I don't stand there anymore I used to stand and believe the word of God, but I'm not sure I believe it anymore. That is apostasy. That is what the Bible, and apostasy, in fact, the Bible tells us before the last days, there's going to be a great apostasy. Apostasy means I don't stand where I used to stand. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians. This is where a lot of the fake Christianity is in our nation today. A lot of people don't stand where they used to stand because Jesus is not Lord in their lives. But now the interesting thing to me is that this word resist comes from the same root word, which means to stand. So when the Bible is telling me how to deal with Satan, God says the win, the victory is when the battle is over, you stand where you started out. You stand. You don't cave. You don't cave like Adam and Eve. You don't cave like David. And you do like Jesus. You just don't cave. That works. Now, just in case you think I'm making this up, let me read this to you from the scriptures. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, we saw this a few minutes ago, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, well, I wish I had time to teach on this. What the Bible is teaching us here is that all of us are going to deal with satanic, every day of our, satanic satanic attack every day of our lives. But there are going to be seasons when you're going to feel it come from every side. And it'll, it won't just be your health. It'll be your health and your marriage and your kids and your job. You just feel... And this is what the Bible calls the evil day. In other words, Satan is going to coordinate his attack. Some of you are in that right now. I've been there several times. And the Bible tells us this, that you, you put on the armor so that when the evil day comes, you can stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Heads up, New Spring, different word for stand, different Greek word. This word means to stand victoriously on the mountain when the battle's over. And the Bible says, Christian, daughter of God, warrior of God, you stand your ground. When Satan comes, you say, I'm not moving, I'm standing here. And I'm not going to, when the battle's over, I'm going to be standing right here and you stand your ground so that when the battle is over, like happened with Jesus, Satan leaves and you're still there and you're standing on the mountain victorious. The Bible tells us, stand your ground so you can do that. James 4, 7, let me give you one more verse. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the word, resist, resist, you stand. Stand. I don't know much about geopolitics. It's the last thing I want to preach about, but this illustration just works right now. Back, uh, well, probably between 1945 and 1991 or 92, we were in what was called the Cold War. And most of y'all are way too young to remember that. But after World War II, you had two power sources in the, in the world. You had the communist powers and the democratic powers. And the communist powers were very aggressive. They were taking more and more land all the time. And, and, and then they got into the nuclear uh, race, and that's why we call it a Cold War. It wasn't a shooting war, it was just a constant intimidation war between the two powers. And there was always a question about how the Cold War was going to end. And in the 70s, Henry Kissinger coined a phrase taken from the French language. He started calling it détente. And détente just meant we sort of like we're sort of enemies, but we're sort of friends. You know, we, when you're sort of enemies and you're sort of friends, you don't know how the battle ends, you don't even know what the battle is. And after about 15 years of détente, Americans were like, What in the world's going on? And along came a leader, and I'm not not hyping this leader, just along came a different kind of leader in Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan, as he was getting ready to run for office uh, in in the late 70s, one of his uh, security advisors said to him, Sir, (laughs) you know, this is in the age of detente, how do you see the Cold War? What is your vision for the Cold War? Reagan said, real simple, we win, they lose. Now this is not about geopolitics, this is about spiritual things. It it really comes down to that. There is no detente with the devil. It's either he wins or we win. I mean, and the thing of it is, the, the whole point of spiritual battle is we win, he loses. But here's what I do know. I know that if I stand at the end of the battle where I stood at the beginning of the battle, I win. And the imps of hell cannot take that away from me. But if on the other hand, I don't stand where I used to stand. I can listen to Christian music. I can listen to my sermon tapes. I can listen. I can can put bumper stickers on my car that say I'm a Christian. I can wear the cross around my neck. But if I don't stand where I used to stand, he won, I lost. Let's get real. 2020 is not a day for wimps. It's It's not a day for fakers or wannabes. Now let's talk about your armor. Because God knew we would be under attack and we would need something to protect us. And I don't have time to develop this today. We'll talk about it later. But let me just read this to you, just so that you'll understand that God has made a way for you to be protected when you're going through warfare. So stand strong, there's our word again. With the belt of truth tied around your waist. That means you know the truth and you believe the truth and you act on the truth. With the belt of truth around your waist. On your sh- chest, wear the protection of right living. In other words... String some yeses together to God. String some noes together to the devil. In other words, this is so important. I love, wish I could teach on this. Every time you tell the devil no, you get stronger. You get stronger. And, and it's not as hard to fight temptation anymore. Every time you say yes to God, it's not as hard to say yes to God. We've got to string it together. That's why Satan wants to get us in this back and forth thing all the time. So it's the protection of right living. On your feet, wear the good news of peace to help you stand strong. Also, use use the shield of faith with which you can stop all the burning arrows that come from the evil one. Accept God's salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And then we talked earlier about the weapons of your warfare being mighty. What greater weapon is there other than believing the word of God than in prayer? Because when you pray in the spirit, as the scripture says, with all kinds of prayers, then you bring what God can do into the equation. And the weapons that you have at your disposal at that moment are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God help us who are Christ followers in 2020 to not watch so much news on television and start getting into the word of God and get some news from heaven and ask God to do what no human being has the power to do to close with this we've talked about your strategy which is you resist we talked about your armor and now let's talk about your commander now most of the time when we talk about our commander we're talking about Jesus and that's rightfully so but you and I live in the church age And the member of the Trinity that is our commander in the church age is the Holy Spirit of God. We need to talk more about that. The Holy Spirit is our commander. In Isaiah 59, in the 19th verse, and by the way, Isaiah 59 is talking about the last days that you and I live in. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, and that's what we feel today. You know, a flood's different from almost any other kind of natural disaster. It just washes away everything. And that's how we feel evil today. When the Bible says the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. Do do you know what that means? A standard is a battle flag. And what the Bible is talking about here is that when the enemy would come in like a flood, a lot of times the soldiers would run and even commanders would run. Even people that should be strong would run and they would begin to retreat. But all of a sudden, in history's full of stories like this. There would be a brave woman or a brave man that would raise up a battle standard and say, the fight is over here. Come over here and join me. We shouldn't be running back. We shouldn't be, ca- we shouldn't be running backwards. Here's the standard. Come over and join me. But the Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God would raise up a standard as if to say, come over and join me. The fight is over here. I know there'll be some that won't be able to process this and I, I get that. You have to be spiritually alive to do spiritual warfare. But in the times that you and I are living in, we, we, we know that our God is everywhere, he's omnipresent, but it feels like the devil's omnipresent right now, but he's not. The reason why Satan feels like he's omnipresent is, and I, I told you a little while ago, I was gonna say this again, act like you hadn't heard it. So here we go. In the book of Revelation chapters 12 and 13, the Bible tells us about when Satan revolted against God, a third of the angels went with him. And the Bible tells us in Revelation five eleven that a conservative number of angels is 100 million. That's how we know there are 33 million demons. And it explains a lot. These demons have been assigned to power bases. They've been assigned to government. They've been assigned to education. They've been assigned to politics. They've been assigned to entertainment. They've been assigned to religion. And it's why we feel their strength. There's no reason for us to be discouraged. There's, There's a reason why Satan knows his time is short. Let me give you an Old Testament story and I'll be finished. The Bible tells us the story about the nation of Syria, which is the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And the Syrian king kept sending his army to attack Israel. And every time they would get to Israel, the army of Israel was waiting on them. And the king of Syria got mad at his generals. He said, which one of you guys is, on the payroll of the king of Israel. And they said, sir, it's not any of us. We're all loyal, but there's a preacher down there in Israel. He knows everything that happens. He said, even if you say something in your bedchamber, he tells the king of Israel about it. And the king of Syria said, well, there's no sense in letting one preacher mess us all up. We're just going to send the whole army down there and whack this preacher. That preacher was Elisha, and he had an assistant named Gehazi. And Gehazi happened to look out the window just as the whole Syrian army was in their subdivision. And Gehazi went crazy, freaked out. He said to Elisha, we're in so much trouble. What do we do? And Elisha said, don't be afraid for there are more on our side than are on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So today, if you feel like you're overmatched, Because the demons of hell have all the power sinners in this world. Just never forget that for every one demon, there are two angels. And on top of that, that doesn't even count the Lord God Almighty, who doesn't even need the angels. So I'm telling you, we're not undermatched today. God is with us. Fight on, soldier. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services.